0: Welcome back to your brain on positive. All the love and support you need is residing inside of you. And we're going to make it easier to turn it on. When it comes to your brain being on positive, some brains are just a little more electrified than others. And today you are going to meet one that has a, Electricity, uh, uh his uh, electricity history. So, <laughs> I'm glad you like that, Janine. <laughs> that's great. So, Janine Bolin. Now, I know you from broadcasting. I know you from our mastermind. I also know that there are two sides of you, and that's sort of like what they expect that since there are two sides of me, that people I bring on the show have two sides. So. Which side do you want to talk about first?
1: Because we are going to
0: get it all together by the end.
1: Okay. Um, Let's just start off with the thing that is solid that a lot of people do know about me. And that is I'm an analytical biochemist. I was trained in automation and robotics. I worked in the (laughs) pharmaceutical industry for 15 years before I ever started having a family. I was one of those women that the media villainized because we were waiting until we were in our late 30s and early 40s before we were having children. This was back before you had maternity leave and those sorts of things. So, yes, there was a lot of hubbub regarding that. So that's kind of the analytical side of me. But then there's also the fun, intuitive side of me as well.
0: But wait a minute, you're not working in that kind of environment now.
1: Uh, no, but that is where a lot of my training is. And a lot of people ask me, how did I get so good with systems and processes? And I'm like, oh, I spent 15 years automating things that people told me were impossible to automate. And I found a way to use stepper motors instead of server motors, stuff like that. I was kind of a hardware junkie.
0: <laughs> hardware junkie. Okay. So now you're kind of a software junkie, <laughs> the softer side of life. Right. Um, but systems and processes are one of the things that Um, Hepburn Hepburn said that schedules set her free. Yeah, that she, because she had such a set routine that that gave her the freedom. And I think it's it's freedom from the mental clutter of having to make a hundred decisions every day. You could just set up a system.
1: You do that now in a lot of different ways. Right, Uh, decision fatigue is real. Mm -hmm. And my brain can operate incredibly fast. And I learned that when I was working in corporate America, I felt like a lot of folks were just so slow to pick up information. And I don't think that it was an ego thing. It was just like, I would get things very quickly. And I learned fast. And I had a flexibility in my thinking that I'm sure somebody would have some sort of mental health issue now label me with something. But at the time, it was just I was very quick. And I was able to Really cottoned to uh, C++ and subroutine programming very, very fast. So I had my keyboard totally automated to where I could hit three keystrokes and the robots and the automation, the whole laboratory would crank up and do things. And, you know, people just thought I was a magician with that. So I could keep a lot of things moving very quickly. And you have to remember, this is back in 1995 through 1996. So we were using RS-232 cables and two megabytes of memory. And I remember when we got one whole gig that we were allowed to have as a department of 35 scientists, and we felt like we were given nirvana on a plate. So Mm -hmm. that kind of lets you know where the era was that I was running in.
0: That was back when it never dawned on anybody that programs would get complicated, or that we would be wanting to store documents on a telephone. You know, I mean, who knew, right? Who knew? Oh Star Trek
1: The Next Generation had just come out. Yeah. <laughs> Wesley Crusher was just beginning to become this icon for all us nerds. <laughs>
0: oh, there you go. What a great icon. The idea that it was Okay to actually uh, explore, live into, be present to, and not be judged for what makes you unique and different. Because that's what Wesley Crusher brought in. Here's this really precocious, really bright, very analytical brain, you know, can figure stuff out quickly. And he wasn't told to sit down and shut up, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: which would have happened a generation earlier. You bet. You and I've lived it. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I'm the youngest of four girls. I had three older sisters. I lived it. Yes, you did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what's your lived it story? What did you have to live through to get to be who you are now?
1: There are so many elements to that. My life has been quite the adventure story. It was so out of the box relative to what most people had lived in my sphere of influence that I ended up writing a trilogy, Seeking the Divine, Finding the Divine, and Expressing the Divine. Because I just didn't know how else to share it with people because it was so intricate and also wild. And people were like, Janine, you really need to write this as nonfiction. And I thought... I have to make it fictional. I don't think anybody's gonna believe me. And they're like, you've gotta make this nonfiction. Cause I was trying to hide. I didn't really want to bring my story out to people. I guess the biggest one is that my father was in the military. He was a navy. Mm-hmm. He was in the Navy. He was a master chief. And so when when you had the Spartans come out, you had Halo. I was like, oh my God, my kids were playing the game that was my dad. You know, it was like he was this larger than life, uh Dad for me, he could do anything there were amazing he had amazing tools and he had education that was all self taught and so um, for me that 's kind of what made me so flexible and be able to operate in what some people would consider hostile environments. It was very simple for me because I had been in areas where i didn 't know the language and I had to figure it out rather quickly and um, and then, of course, there's always the universal language. And everybody everybody goes, what's that? And I go, mathematics. When it comes to science, you can stand at a chalkboard and write mathematical equations. And believe it or not, you can communicate with people who have no idea what your, your language is. And I got to do that in a room with five other people. And that was a very special moment for me. All right. What country were you in and how old were you? Uh, my middle, so for my middle school years, I was in Japan for okay. my high school. Yeah. Um, and then for, um I'm sorry, elementary school years, I was in Japan. Middle school years, I was in on an island in Eleuthera in the Bahamas. And then for high school, my mother and father decided that they wanted to retire to Southern Missouri. And that was <laughs> the biggest culture shock of my <laughs> life. I was oh in God. a county of people who thought, that leaving, why leave the county? They had never left the county in their entire lives. Because what was the point? Big whoop, you know. And I, I was in awe because here I was at seventeen, having been traveled the world, and felt like I was ding 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 ding. I was in hell.
0: You know, um, the devil went down to Missouri. I hear this. <laughs> um, I actually heard it from my sister who retired out of being a, um, a navy um, officer and nurse practitioner and you know, all of that and settled her family in Southern Missouri. Um, yeah, culture shock. But being, being a military brat, because I was one, starting school at... I, I got a cosmic joke for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. They say opposites attract. On the surface, my guy Mark and I, were both serial entrepreneurs. Looks good. Underneath, he went kindergarten, through high school, with the same group of kids in the Bronx, all the way to most of them testing into the Bronx High School of Science. I mean, same thing. I went to kindergarten on two continents. Yo, split my kindergarten year between two continents, because that's the life of a military kid. Mm -hmm. So it
1: gives a very different perspective. All right. How fast did you get out of Missouri? As soon as I turned 18, and was accepted (laughs) by the University of Missouri (laughs) College in Columbia. I was gone. Yes. As fast as they would let me, as soon as the dorms opened. So I really appreciated Harry Potter. And it wasn't because I had horrible parents, but it was because it was the environment that my, my parents felt was wonderful for raising children. And I could not get out of there fast enough. It was a toxic environment for a woman who was as well-traveled as I was, and I was a little too smart. I kept being told, girl, you keep reading all them there books and you're never going to get married.
0: Good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it sort of reminds me of Beauty and the Beast. You know, (laughs) how Belle gets out of the marriage proposal. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't deserve you.
1: you (laughs) I wasn't that smart. Belle was a lot smarter than I was in that regard. I didn't have that kind of, Thinking on my feet, Moxie, she had a lot more Moxie than I did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, you know, I get the journey into corporate, but I don't get the leap that it takes to go from that environment that's so structured, potentially, sort of structured, you created structure in
1: it, Mm -hmm. to being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. What was behind that? Okay, it was because I I got the flu that wouldn't go away. And after 10 years of marriage, uh, you don't expect to get pregnant. You know, it wasn't due to lack of trying. And I became pregnant. Well, I was working on a virus that was called AIDS at the time because we didn't know what AIDS was caused by. And when we did find out it was a virus, then we started working with radiation and that sort of thing. And so I was in a very um, hazardous job. And so I was automating things because we were processing anywhere from 2,000 to 3,000 blood samples a week. And so we were trying to protect a lot of the scientists because you know, we were still figuring this thing out um, from all of it. So after COVID, I just felt like, wow, wash, rinse, repeat, you know, it was like a very similar thing, only it it did happen globally, but I think because it was airborne, you know, it had a different thing. But anyhow, so that's where I was. And they took me out of the job that I was very good at. I excelled at, and they put me in quality assurance. And that is basically taking a stand-up comedian and making them, a com- uh, making them an accountant. And Ooh. the skill sets, and the reason I say it that way is I love accountants because I hire them all the time. Okay, I love these people. But the skill set required to be an accountant is in no way, shape, or form the skill set that's required to be a stand-up comedian. You got that right. So that's what happened. And I ended up having four children. I don't know what happened. The dam broke. I don't know. (laughs) I ended up having four children over the course of seven years. So I became a serial entrepreneur because I could work from home. And about this time, the internet started really starting to take off. And I got back into radio. That was my first love. And I became what was called an audio blogger. And I had Kellogg's as a sponsor and I was sponsoring this uh, women's show called Powerful Women of Today. And uh, it was with the Fiber One Bar. So, you know, the Fiber One Bar had just come out and they were my sponsor for that audio blog. All right. So for everybody who's ever listened to a podcast, ever aspired to be a podcast
0: host, is a podcast host, close this gap for me. Okay. Serial Entrepreneur, Audio blogger got that what we now call a podcast sponsor. You you just went into a foreign world for most podcasts. It's something they aspire to, dream of. You know, been told it's elusive, et cetera, et cetera. How did that happen?
1: I attended a conference that was on food for the twenty first century, and while I was there, I was known as one of the reporters, I was considered to be in media because I was this newfangled sort of reporter called a blogger. And they didn't understand I was an audio blogger, but they saw me as a blogger. So they thought I sat and wrote articles. And so I was treated like media in that regard. And when they found out I was technically radio, but see, it was so novel. <laughs> people kept making all of these assumptions and I let them make their assumptions. I I never lied. I always said exactly what I did. I was on Blog Talk Radio. I always was very uh, upfront about it. And so Kellogg's got interested because of that conference.
0: Blog Talk Radio. You know,
1: they just did such a brilliant
0: job when they named that. Didn't they do a brilliant job when they named that? Who
1: knew? Who Who knew what it would turn into?
0: Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So talk about perfect timing. What year was that? Uh, That was around 2002 uh, to, uh, I'm sorry, no, no, 2007 to 2009. I sometimes get my years messed up. I always tell people, if you see it written down, uh, go with that. Not what I say verbally, because (laughs) written down, I had fact checkers. (laughs)
0: I I, I get that. And I so admire that about you, that it's like, I don't have to be perfect to be profitable. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, it's like, I'm just going to show
1: up and be me and I'll get help when I need it. (laughs) Right. That's why I hire people who have different skill sets than I.
0: You know, it's really important. Uh, I think you just hit upon something that might solve all the problems of the planet. What if we just built villages of people who had different skill sets? So they weren't all, you know, super quick problem solvers. And they weren't all, you know, um, whatever other people are, because I'm like you. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank God. I mean, I have I have brilliant friends like you. You know, mm-hmm. one of mine created a quiz that allowed me to find out that I'm by nature a problem solver. And the joke is that we just take in massive amounts of information and warp speed say, oh, this is the solution. And if you push on me really, really hard, then I will go back and explain. But if you don't push on me, I don't know what I did. Yeah. You know? <laughs> The good skill set to have, um, except in teamwork, and that's a whole other skill set. It seems like you've mastered this idea of teamwork.
1: Um, I had to because back in the day, I was an analytical biochemist, and I had to work with electronic, mechanical engineers on the automation and robots that were coming down the pike. We were building these things. So it was quarter of a million dollar to $3 million robots. And they look nothing like the cute things you get to see at the expos. We were building them on tables and three-dimensional variances. We had 10 variables. We were operating at once on a lot of the research development. And so they were very complicated. And yet at the same time, it took nothing to cause them to break down. So I really was good. (laughs) At being able to talk to the engineers, talk to the chemists, and talk to the software geeks who were building the software for this stuff. And so that's that being that liaison kind of helped me understand team dynamics.
0: Whoa. Okay. So you were what held the team together and made communication possible.
1: Yes, I was in the hospital back in the day. I was called the unit clerk. You know, you're the in charge of the unit, and you make sure radiology is where they need to be, that surgery and pre and post op. Yeah, you're basically the brain or the hub of the activity.
0: Mm-hmm. So now you're the hub of two different venues, two two different endeavors, and and I don't know if you're trying to bring them together, but I'd love to just take everybody on a short journey into what's so good about having dual trajectories going on at the same time?
1: Uh, First, you have to tell
0: people what they are because I'm not going to explain that. That's your job.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm an author who is currently working on book number 12 and 13. Okay. And I write in four different genres. I write for business owners. I write for authors, podcasters. Okay. Okay. And I help people with debt-free living. And I have a group that are called my practical mystics. And so that's kind of what Jackie's alluding to is she wants, really wants me to talk about the practical mystics. Cause I usually keep that one under the rug cause that's the woo woo side. And when you're talking to a bunch of people about analytical biochemistry, they usually glaze over. If you start talking woo woo, unless you do it in the arena, of multidimensional physics, or you know, the multiverse. If you go into the comic book world, so that's how I'm used to phrasing a lot of my woo woo is so that engineers and software uh, designers can chat with me about that. So that is the other area. What is the benefit to to working two traject- or, in my case, four? I have four trajectories at once. Is I do a proof of concept on one that I am very solid, that I know that demographic very well before I move forward with the other three, with that idea, I've already tested it, beta tested it, have proof of concept, and then I move forward. And then that's how you stay profitable.
0: So you just solved the challenge of entrepreneurialism today. Very few of us, other people, come into entrepreneurialism understanding even the concept of proof of concept and the idea of prove it. And this is um, what I ranted about on my TikTok channel was that people are automating before they've gotten competent, you know, so they're investing in softwares and things, but they don't even know that they have a viable product. And so, yeah, that's, I fell into that world and I'd love to have just a moment of sanity and clarity for everybody on this topic. Because it doesn't really matter to me whether it's the business owners or the authors and podcasters or the debt free living people. And, and we probably have read some similar books on that topic. Yeah. You know, or it's the practical mystics. The reality is that if you want to be. Rewarded for what you're doing outside of a JOB, outside of a W 2 employee, this is the concept that changes everything. So, what is the simplest way to explain proof of
1: concept to someone? Has somebody put money into your Venmo account for what you do? That's proof of concept.
0: Isn't that an interesting, simple answer? I really like that. Where the money is, that's where the magic is. Yeah. If one person's willing to buy it, then perhaps there will be more people like them that you can find who will also be willing to buy it. Um, All right. We're going to take a whack at this because the elephant in the room is most people think they have to sell something as opposed to create something that somebody is willing to buy. Can you speak to that? Because you've had people willing to buy your stuff in four different arenas, plus your, 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 your bread and butter business, plus, you know. So what, what is it that people don't get yet
1: about this process? The Boeing 747 was not built before it was purchased. And I like to bring it back to very simple brass tacks because all they had built was, you know, the the old fashioned where you had to walk up the steps before you could get into the airplane because that's all they had. They didn't have the jetways like we do now. They had that and they had the levers that the pilot would use. That's all they had built thus far. And Douglas of McDonnell Douglas was sitting up there moving this tramway thing around. And he said, will you build it if we buy it? And the other company was saying, we'll build it if you buy it. And he was saying, well, will you build it though if we buy it? And they were like, well, if you buy it, we'll build it. (laughs) And that was the conversation they were having. So proof of concept is the very first Boeing 747 that was purchased was not built yet.
0: Most people, especially, I mean, you know, my audience, a lot of coaches, healers, sometimes teachers and preachers, they're not building something concrete and tangible like an airplane, like an airplane. So they they offer services, you know, teachers, preachers, you know, their greatest gift is their enthusiasm and commitment. Coaches and healers, same thing. They they come into the world with a belief system that says your life can be better and I can help. And that's often the best marketing message I can get out of them.
1: Right. For, for the individuals that have a service-based business, you still have to make it a product. I don't care how you productize it. And that's what we like to call it. Uh, when I am working with my healers, shamans, my metaphysical people, I'm like, yeah, but what's your product? What do you give in return? And they're like, Janine, I don't know what you're talking about. I can do this. I can do that. And I said, I help people walk the medicine wheel according to the Native American traditions or the Eastern traditions based upon their preference. And I can do that in 45 minutes. And that will be $197. And people go, whoa. I'm like, I have a product. What do you get at the end of it? You get a sheet of paper that is walking the medicine wheel according to your own intention. And then we walk you through the power animals that are going to help you through those four phases of that intention. I'm like, I have productized something that was a vision that I got on a vision quest back in 2011, but I have a product now. You have to productize your service. It needs to look like something. So even if you get on Canva and you have a little computer Icon and on that computer icon, you have you know two week course on how to better better living through uh, meditation and. I even have a three-minute meditation course that I offer people because they told me, Janine, I don't know what this, what what is this meditation stuff? I mean, it's more commonplace now. When I was first doing the online course, it was 2015. Oprah Winfrey had not started meditating yet. Thank goodness the woman started meditating. She made my job ever so much easier. I will kiss that woman if I ever meet her because I'm so grateful for all the work that she's done to bring this very ancient tool to help humanity Calm its little anxiety-ridden brain down. Yeah. So bless Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> yeah.
0: Not, not that you have any passion around this. Okay. When I mean, you know, try, try to bring up your energy just a little, <laughs> just know.
1: a little bit more. <laughs>
0: so when did you start meditating? Cause I'd love to swap meditation stories with you.
1: I started meditating in 1987.
0: Awesome. what tripped you into meditation? The death of my mother. Got it. And what did meditation bring you?
1: Uh, It brought me to a lot of teachers that had no idea what they were doing and they did (laughs) not know. (laughs) Did not know what they were talking about. I did not meet the teacher that knew what he was talking about uh, until 1992. Yeah. So I learned a lot. I learned a lot of what not to do. I have uh, skill sets on what not to do. So when people talk to me about their teachers, I'll say, do they do this? Do they do that? It's like I have a whole flow chart, analog sheet. Yes, no, maybe. That's how I think is in flow charts. And um, I run through my list of questions and they're like, wow, I never thought to ask them that. Wow, I never thought to ask them that. I want to go ask them that. (laughs) Find out if your teacher knows what they're talking about. or are they just parroting back something somebody else had said? Because I am a mystic and a mystic is different from other formats of religious teachers or spiritual teachers. And that is, I believe that unless I have had the experience, I don't teach about it. So mysticism Amen. mysticism is experiential. So Eckhart Tolle, totally awesome. He's an experiential teacher. Russell Brand, excellent teacher he's experiential. He's had these experiences. He is sharing what he knows. It's very difficult. Joseph Campbell, experiential teacher. I won't go in through all the women that uh, have done that because you can figure them out. I'm just showing the guys because they have a tendency to kind of float to the surface because they get passionate and they that's what they do. With the women, we have a tendency to hide a little bit more. There's that whole witchcraft and being burned at the stake kind of thing, still hiding in the back of our subconscious sometimes. It's
0: just a little bit of history there. Um, (laughs) And I was in
1: a production
0: of the play The Crucible when I was like 12 or 13. Yeah. So yeah, this this whole thing about witchcraft, I'm very much aware that it's a culturally embedded meme and it is why women don't step up as leaders. You know, it it just, it's historical, has some basis. We're going to let that one go for just a minute because I want to come back to this idea of, your teachers and because my experience with meditation, let's see, would have been in the 90s. My kids were junior high and high school. They were in a choir at a church. They all three of them love to sing. So what did I do as a mom, I started going to the church. There was a lay preacher, a you know, member of the congregation talking one day. Now, I've been exposed to meditation, but no, my brain doesn't slow down enough. At least that's what I thought. Tai Chi was more my thing. You know, let's do the moving meditation. The lay preacher said, I believe if prayer is asking God a question, meditation is listening for the answer. And that's I was very wise, very profound. Yes. That Agreed. explained a lot. because The last thing I wanted was an answer to my prayers because I knew I would have to take actions that were uncomfortable. Yeah. So in that moment, I had this illumination of, oh, yeah, Jackie, you're just, quote, hiding from reality. No, it's interesting. I wonder how many other people are hiding from their reality. Janine, your journey is unique. It's unique for most people to be able to bridge the two worlds, the left brain, right brain, the the analytical and the spiritual, that, that, that in and of itself is, I can see why you have multiple books out. So that's really bookworthy. But you're also a woman who succeeded in an analytical field in a day and an age before, I have a niece who's a rocket scientist, but a generation earlier, she would not have stood a prayer in that field. She'd have had to fight her way in instead of being recruited out of her, you know, PhD degree. Yeah. I mean, so you walked into an environment where you were what? How many other women were in your world? Um, I was the only one at the time. <laughs> yeah, I'd have been shocked if you'd said anything other than that. And then you made the choice to leave that profession because of the beauty of being a woman and having kids. And you're right, That this is a vilification for people who bought bought into the, you're supposed to pick what you're going to do and stick with it for 30 to 40 years, get the gold watch, get the pension, get the retirement, and then you go play. I I get the feeling you've been
1: playing for a long time at what you do. Yes, I have. I see it as fun. Yep. I'm having a great time. I enjoy my life. Cool.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Well, I am so enjoying this conversation with you. I believe that what you have laid down as the possibility of myth busting, and and this was a myth that I lived, in 2014, 2015, I became aware of the whole three-day event, personal professional development industry, high-end programs, whatever they call them now, And they all told me the same thing, which was pick a pony. And I fought with that for years. So it took some trauma that landed me on a TEDx stage for me to be able to break open the paradigm of I'm supposed to only do one thing. And focus on one thing at a time. My brain doesn't work well that way. But I thought, you know, I was doing what I was supposed to, what I should. i created a whole teaching on leaving Shouldville because i would lived there so long.
1: <laughs> you know how to pack. You know how to leave Shouldville because you've lived in. <laughs> I do know how to pack.
0: I know how to get out, stay out, and right. sit in the rearview mirror, which is right. why I created the whole leaving Shouldville uh, con- construct because I realized I wasn't the only one. Was there ever a time that you took yourself to Shouldville that you thought your life should be different or you should be different than what was happening?
1: There were times that I think we all walk through. If you're going to be a human being on planet Earth, there's always a time where you would think, well, maybe I should just and you'll have that run through your head. And I'll I'll play with that for about 15 or 20 seconds before I chuck (laughs) it in the file bin and go time to move on, Um, because anytime I hear the word should, I know it's a dirty word uh, for me okay, if I hear the word should, then I know that there's somebody else that's trying to take control of my life and it isn't me.
0: Boom, love that. All right, so now we have the should alert. You will hear more about this. We're gonna call it the should alert according to Janine. And I love that. I had not thought of parsing it that way. So that is brilliant. All right, so of course I knew you were brilliant. That's why I asked you to be on the show. This has been a lovely, lovely, lovely conversation. So there will be ways people can connect with you, no matter which of your quadrants. I call them your quadrants because that's the easy way for my brain to organize it. You know, no matter whether they're business owners or they're woo people, practical mystics. I get that. um, Yeah. Debt-free living people, which I believe is a good thing for everyone to pursue. And of course, when it comes to being an author and a podcaster, I am that. So yeah, people listening to me are often that. So whatever quadrant you fit in, all the links for Janine will be in the show notes. They'll be in the chats. Janine, if there was one thing that you really just wish
1: they could wake up to, what would it be? Know what you want. Most of the people that I work with do not know what they want. And when I really push them on it, they start to see how they think they know what they want. And they'll tell people they know what they want. And I'll say, describe it for me. What is it that you want? What type of life is it that you want to lead? And you'll hear them quote their parents. You'll hear them quote what they think society wants them to say. And they'll you'll see the reaction behind their eyes. You'll see their nonverbal cues as they go whoa wait a minute no wait you know you can hear hear the gears clicking in their own head as they realize as they're reciting this to you that this is a tape this is a uh, digital file that's been played thousands of times for them and they've really never taken the time to truly figure out what they want a lot of people don't even know what makes them happy so, but I don't try to go to the happiness route because I was accused of being the happiness cult. Like I was in the happiness cult, the law of attraction camp, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, I didn't even read law of attraction until 2015. By then I had already figured out my my own brain. Okay. Law of attraction and, and all that kind of stuff just honed my skills. Like talk about putting polish on the stone or sharpening the saw. That's what that book did for me. It, it like took it home for me. But it was like, but I didn't know about it uh, until 2015. So for me, that's I kind of get a little passionate about when people poke me with that stick.
0: Oh, I think that the icon of our age was vilified for generations. And that's a little girl named Pollyanna.
1: Mm, Yes, she was. Nobody understood Pollyanna. If anybody
0: wants to know the roots of reframing, it's that movie. It's if anybody wants to know how the law of attraction works, watch that movie, the quote on her locket. Mm -hmm. If ye seek the evil in men, you will surely find it. What we focus on is what we get. Mm -hmm. I mean, the movie was brilliant and way ahead of its time. And we use that or I heard it used. I, I don't think I ever did. But I heard that used to shame people. Rose colored glasses. You're just a Pollyanna. You're not dealing with reality. Holy crap, my reality is that I can make the meaning happen for anything. Mm -hmm. I get to choose what it means to me. You get to choose what it means to you. If you think that like Chicken Little, the sky has fallen and that works for you, go for it. But oh my God, Janine, my freedom day was the day that I gave myself permission to unplug from watching the news on TV on a regular basis. to to just take control of what I was feeding my brain. It seems like you were taught that at an early age.
1: Well, I didn't have access to television uh, the way Americans did because I was on islands a lot because my dad was in the Navy. And so... I had Armed Forces Network, so I had AFN. I had radio, so that's why radio is so important to me because I lived by a speaker. (laughs) We didn't have earbuds, so I had to put it, turn it way down, and I'd, I'd have to lean into those big speakers that they had on the side of their radios. I'd have to lean in on that, and I can still remember having the mesh, you know, in my ear because I was trying to listen, and I had to turn it way down so that my I wouldn't disturb the rest of the family. And so that was one of uh, my early memories was hearing things that were novel and concepts and the Phantom Nose and all kinds of amazing, amazing radio shows that to some people are, were antiquated and outside of my time, uh, like much older than me. But that was because I was listening to Armed Forces Network. Yeah. And they got what they got and they put it out. Right?
0: For someone who, even somebody who's not a natural auditory, learner, the reality is that our visual cortex is the biggest one. And so when we close it off and use something else, we're actually forcing ourselves to become creative imagers. And thank you, because I didn't even think about that. What a great, great story. Mm-hmm. You you, know, creativity. All right. right. So we'll take a hack at creativity another time. In the meantime, Janine, thank you for your time, Mm -hmm. for coming on the show and bringing your experiences and this reality-shifting paradigm that you don't have to pick a pony. (laughs) Yes, you do have to prove your concept riding one pony at a time. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly. And I'm more than happy to talk to people about how you can ride multiple ponies, but you only can ride one pony at a time. However, it doesn't mean that you have to write it until it's exhausted and then move to the next one. And I think that's where you get caught up on that uh, sort of demographic. Oh,
0: we get caught up on that a lot. So thank you, thank you. Thank Thank you you for having me. And all your links will be in the show notes. Have a wonderful day.
1: And back at you, Shanti.
0: Thank you for turning on and turning up your positivity. We know that positivity is easier to maintain in a community, so we have one. Join our community on Facebook, Your Brain on Positive. If you've had an aha from the show, please head over to the community and share it. We love to celebrate wins.